Well, we have a really special treat this morning. We have an honored guest with us. We have Pastor Jimmy Seibert. Jimmy is the founding pastor. There we go. The founding pastor of Antioch Waco and the Antioch Movement of Churches. And he's going to be here sharing God's word with us in just a moment. And before he comes up, I just want to honor him and I want us to honor him. I remember as a college student, I'm new to the Lord. A friend invited me to church. And I just went in, they're meeting in, uh, at that point, they were meeting in like a hippodrome, theater type space. And just the presence of God was there in that community, in the worship, in the giving, in the ministry, and in Jimmy's preaching and leadership. And the Lord transformed my life in that environment. And for, in so many ways, I could just go on and on, Jimmy. I am so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful for the way that you've been that person for so many. And all the sacrifices you've made uh, that sometimes get honored and sometimes don't get honored. But just the ways that you and your wife have laid down y'all's lives to love people, to love Jesus, and to inspire people around a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. And so we want to welcome you and honor you as you come to share with us. So would you give him a hand? Yes, sir. Love you, love you, love you. Hey, thank you guys. Well, it is such an honor to be here as well. And um, it was not set up to be this way, but I want to make sure to return the honor and the blessing to Zach and Christina. You know, I've known Christina probably about from birth on uh, as she grew up in Waco. Zach did as well. He was a bit more of a reprobate. He had to come back to the Lord. Now together, here they are. Um, but here's what I know from being a lead pastor uh, all these years, is there's nothing uh, in our hearts as pastors and leaders that doesn't want to do everything we can for you to flourish. And I always say, if somebody else is flourishing, somebody's dying. For all the right reasons, because they want you to flourish. And I know that these guys, as well as the staff and so many of the long-term people here have done that. But can we just do the same? Can you guys just take a moment? Let's honor Zach and Christina for their love for us. Love you. So grateful. Amen. Well, hey, uh, many of you I know, many of you, we do not know each other, so I want to introduce you to my family, and uh, we've had a picture from uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, this is, I'll, I'll mention the grandkids here at the end, but this first guy here is Kyle, that's my son-in-law, my daughter Abby, they live in Washington, D.C., he works for the DOD, but we are planning a church in D.C., and he is preaching this morning, so uh, I'm excited about that. Next man up is Daniel. He is a junior at Abilene Christian University. Great man of God. Going to be, looks like living in Fort Worth. Sorry, Dallas. Uh, but great man of God. That other lady that looks like one of my daughters is my wife of 33 years. Uh, next month, actually, or next week, actually. Um, we'll be married for 33 years. There's me, the old fat guy. And then you've got... My son, Caleb, he also lives in Washington, D.C. He works for a think tank, but he's the worship leader at the D.C. church plant. 
And then my daughter Lauren and son-in-law Brady, and they are heading up uh, an organization we have inside the Antioch Movement called Acts of Mercy, which is our emergency response to tragedies around the world. And so that gives us a chance to work together uh, as a community. So that is my family, but really what's most important is the next picture, and that is my grandkids. So Kyle and Abby have two kiddos, and that is Miles and little Levi at his one-year-old birthday at Chick-fil-A in Washington, D.C., where everybody should go for the birthday party. And uh, we love them and the privilege of planting a church up in D.C. We just fortunately found ourselves as the overseers of that church plant, so we have to go there often and care for this church and these grandkids. So... It's, it's a blessing and a joy. Uh, you know, so uh, just on the, a couple of little deals about the Antioch movement. Again, we're just a network of churches that are uh, 42 churches in America and uh, now almost 100 locations in 43 countries. So we're all a part of this together. People are praying for you right now that you don't even know. Uh, people are partnering on the field, some of your people, with, our, with the people from other churches. So it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. But just a little update on one of the newer church plants, Washington, D.C. Uh, my son and a bunch of friends uh, just got together, started doing house church, you know, started doing life group. And the great thing about the kingdom of God and the way that God's called us to do church is you can be church and do church anywhere, anytime in the name of Jesus. So they were meeting house to house and just said, hey, what do we do? It's kind of growing and, and uh, where do we connect? And we said, well, let's just start a church and we'll just do house churches until you guys are ready to gather on Sunday morning and we'll just kind of work it through together. And we started gathering really more intentionally on Sunday morning on Easter Sunday and the place where we gathered was on the National Mall. And there is a tent at the a corner of 800 and Madison, literally the Washington Monument's here the U.S. Capitol is here. It's on the Washington Mall. Four years ago, a group of Wyomers had fasted and prayed for 40 days for continual worship and prayer to go up from the mall. They got permission from the U.S. government to set up a tent that seats up to 200. They started worship and prayer and it has not stopped for four years. Isn't that amazing? That's so encouraging. And then in that uh, tent... Uh, they had this word last year, hey, it's time to start proclaiming the gospel as well as doing prayer and worship. And so we connected with them. They said, come on. And so we're the 10 to 12 slot. And uh, the deal, because the music never stops, we just, our guys warm up and they worship and everybody prays. And then we say, welcome to Antioch Waco. And it'd be a normal service, but there's always the keyboard just going real light in the background. Uh, and we have fun with that as well. So again, if you're ever in Washington, D.C., really every week people from the movement come and, and you can gather there on Sunday with uh, Antioch community. Uh, I will also say, say that what the beautiful thing about being out there in the middle of the mall is every week people from around the world are touring and they hear the music or they hear the testimonies. They slip in and out and very consistently, sometimes weekly, somebody comes to Jesus for the first time from another country because God had a divine appointment because the church was present in the middle of the city. Woo, we're having a good time. And then World Mandate's coming up. You guys are doing this as, as a part. We've got 13 different sites from around the movement. We're all doing it together. It is going to be awesome. If you haven't been to World Mandate, it's time. If you've been in the past, 
you need to go again. I've been going for 31 years now, and I need it every year. It realigns my heart and my mind to God's heart for the world. And I promise you, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, it, the fullness of God is to passionately love him, but to be his hands and feet and to keep your heart where his heart is, and it's among those who've never heard. And we just reignite our hearts, every world mandate. So come join us. There's something that God has for you. Be a part of the journey with us. One last thing, and then we're going to preach. Uh, I, I do a podcast called Passion and Purpose. Started this just to keep people up with what's going on in the movement. There's 15 to 20 minutes. We talk about theology. We, we interview people in the movement. We talk about what God's doing around the nations. Easy for commutes. All you Dallas people, I mean, y'all commute an hour and a half just to go to dinner. So you might as well listen to a podcast. Passion and Purpose is out there. Also, we have a book that goes with it. Uh, my deal about saying these things, I have no need to sell anything. I have a great need to be effective for the kingdom of God and get the message of Jesus as far as wide as we can. This is a simple tool to help you journey with us as a community. All right. As Zach said, we're talking about Advent. That is the expectation of the coming of Jesus. I love Christmas and I love Christmas because it allows everybody to pause for a minute and whether they know it or not, begin to rotate their lives around the coming of Jesus. <laughs> we can be negative all we want about commercialism, but take it for, for the positive. It's a glimpse of glory. It's a moment when the whole world kind of pauses and realizes there's something going on. There's some day, may not understand it all, but that coming of Jesus. But as was already said, there's this also this expectation as a believer, not just as a reminder of him coming into the world, but a reminder that he's coming again. So we have the already Jesus. He is present here today. And we have the expected long-awaited Jesus that either we will meet face-to-face -face on our last breath, or if all have the opportunity to hear in our lifetime, he can bust through the clouds and we can meet him in our generation. You know, I uh, have done a lot of funerals um, through the years. And I remember when I had my first funeral where I wasn't sure if the person was going to heaven. From their lifestyle to their own choices against the gospel. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved, which means those who have not aren't. And so how do I handle that? There were probably 100 people going to be at this funeral. It was an older gentleman. His name was Elmer. I had shared the gospel with him in depth. He had rejected emphatically. Who knows about his own decisions at the last few days? But in that funeral, I said, God, give me wisdom. What do I say about eternity when I know and the people in the room know this man has rejected the good news of Jesus? And here's what I found that God gave me, just as a phrase. I stood in front of the group and I said, if, if Elmer was here today, he would come back and he would tell you this, that Jesus is more real than he ever knew. Because no matter who you are, each one of us will die. And when we die, we will see Jesus face to face and we'll know him or we will not know him. And that is so true. It's just, it is not just a theological statement. It is a reality. In the end, everybody will see Jesus face to face. And they will be judged accordingly. But my deal is I want to see him now. 
so that I'm not only prepared for that day, but the fullness of what he has planned for me, I embrace fully in this life. What a great moment to remember Jesus. About this time, 30 years ago, uh, Laura was pregnant with our first child, uh, with Abby, and it was uh, December 18th, and we were closing up, leading the training school, uh, and um, for the holidays, we're excited, taking a break. The Abby wasn't due for three and a half weeks yet. I had the crib disassembled everywhere. We had uh, bought it a garage sale, and I was painting it and putting it back together, but all the pieces were everywhere, and Laura calls me that afternoon and says, something's not right. There's like a lot of rumbling going on. I think I need to check out whether I'm going into labor, and... Um, and so we go to the doctor, and he checks her. Her water breaks, and he said, young man, you better get your things together. You're going to have a baby in the next 24 hours. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And we, we had done kind of the breathing coaching and partnership and how we were going to do this whole deal. But I wasn't ready for her arrival yet. And so we literally walk across the street to the hospital, and they, they allow me to be in the, the room the whole time. And they, they, they tell me to put on these scrubs and so on and so forth. And I go into the bathroom and I'm like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Oh, what do I do? You give us a healthy baby. Oh, Lord, let me be alive. Why is it so early? What's going on? You know, so I have my breakdown in the bathroom by myself. And I walk out the door. I said, hey, baby, we got this. What do you need? I'm right here. We're going to get through this. This is great, you know. And we did. Seven hours later, um, the baby is about to come out. They call it crowning. They see the head of the baby. And, uh, and the doctor says, oh, looks like she's a baldy. And I, a baldy? What are you saying? A baldy, my little girl. You know, and um, so that was my first emotional moment. And then he says, push. And all of a sudden, Laura pushes really hard. And Abby, literally, the nurse catches Abby in her arms. And because she was three and a half weeks early, she had what's called white varnix all over her. She had a pointed head because of the birth canal. And I found the exclamation of my mouth was, she's beautiful, she's beautiful. Now, I know the doctor and the nurse afterwards pulled aside and said, that is not a beautiful kid. <laughs> I don't know what that guy's thinking. I mean... Really, I have the pictures. I don't think you would think so either. <laughs> but she was beautiful because she was mine. She was ours. She's beautiful. She's beautiful because she is ours. She is mine. And listen, every person in this room that has breath in you was created by the hands of God for the glory of God made in his image. And you're beautiful because you are his. And no matter what your parents said, no matter what your peers said, no matter what your stupid brothers and sisters said to you, whoever said what that was hurtful to devalue you, that wasn't God. Because you're created in his image and for his glory, and he says, you're beautiful. Let's jump into the story, the book of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, that expectation of Jesus coming. And it says this, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. Isn't that great? Not for some of the people, but for all of the people. Great theology. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let's break this passage down as today we talk about the advent of joy, of joy, great joy for all the people. Um, God speaks to shepherds, and I love that he speaks to shepherds because, again, these were kind of the bottom of the social rung of the ladder. They took care of livestock. They would spend days out on their own. They were a bit socially awkward because, of course, that much time on your own, kind of being the lower class of society, they weren't the, the, the ones that everybody wanted to be like. And when they would come into the city, they smelt like sheep. And so they weren't attractive and drawing even by their personhood. And everything about them just kind of smacked of lower class, if you will. But Jesus, or, or the gospel, the kingdom comes to shepherds to relate to you wherever you are in your journey. No matter where you are, no matter how you, where you think you are on the social strata of life, no matter where you think you are on the working class or their, lack thereof, no matter where you see you, yourself, what you can know is that Jesus came for you, yeah. and he came to communicate to you. And as you've often heard, the whole deal about him born in a manger instead of born in the nicest place in town is so that he can relate to you and everyone on the earth at the basis of life. So literally people living in the slums of India to people living in the projects in Dallas to people living in mansions, he can relate to everybody. Jesus died for all, not for some. So when you start running a mantra through your head that I am less than, or that I am of no value, or if God cares about me, why doesn't he see me? Why did somebody else get this or that? I promise you, he came as a lowly servant. He came through the servants. He literally was birthed through a little teenage gal in order to relate to you wherever you are. And he said, no matter what the world says, I say I love you. I say I'm coming. I'm coming with you and for you. I'm in it with you. He comes to the shepherds, and then he proclaims joy to all the people. Now remember, joy is not just a, a, a feeling. Uh, you know, we often talk about real joy being the depth of God's love apart from circumstance, but it's hard to apprehend joy. I and mean, we can think, I laughed, or I had hope, or whatever. We try to describe it. But let me just uh, solidify the biblical definition of joy. Joy is a person. Joy is a person, not just a feeling I'm hoping will happen. Now, now let, me, let me say it this way. Um, when, when I uh, uh, have a good meal, right, I get joy out of that. Uh, when I have a good, wholesome movie that makes me cry, I get joy out of that, right? When I go out and do an activity with friends or family that's rich and you think, this is just good, those are all godly places of joy, but they're what I call glimpses of glory. They're not fullness of joy. They're just a little taste of joy, a good thing, a, a, an encouragement along the way. But the fullness of joy that God invites us to live into is in the person of Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 11 
you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So the fullness of joy and the pleasure that our heart yearns for is found in the person of God. I love this first phrase, you will make known to me the path of life. Many of you guys are struggling right now with what's my path, Lord? What's your will for my life? I love uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you in a future and a hope. Do you know when you focus and live in Jesus, you have great confidence that his plans for you are good and not evil, that he has a path for you if you continue to attend to him. No need to fear, my friends. God has a path for you, and it's in the person of Jesus. So let me just brag on Jesus here just a minute to encourage you of the, why we should be joyful today. As we've already talked about, he created you. He wove you together in his mother's womb. We are made in his image, that trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it says in Genesis 1, made in his image. And it says that God not only created us, but he blessed us. He blessed his creation. This is before the fall and sin had clouded us from God's goodness. And here's the great thing about blessing most of us wake up not feeling blessed. And I don't mean just circumstantially, just in our, in our being, man, is God looking at me and wanting to bless me, wanting to love me, wanting to care for me, wanting to attend to me? And my answer is yes. It is not God that doesn't want to bless, it's sin that's blinded us from him. Uh, when I would travel when my kids were little, I would always uh, buy them some little gift. It could be as simple as a candy bar or uh, little dolls for the girls. I'd be into this doll collection from around the world. The boys, I'd buy little sports equipment like cricket bats and cheggy, which is like a hacky sack from China or whatever. All these kind of cool little deals. And, um, and so I would, I would come home and, you know, of course, they'd greet me. We'd been away for a couple of weeks. And, you know, they would just, Daddy, we're so glad you're home. And then they'd say, what's in the suitcase? You know, can we get your suitcase? Can we help you? Can I get it out of the car? I knew the deal, right? Hey, I know you love me, but you want my stuff. You, you want what I brought you. I get it, right? So forth. And, you know, it was always such sweet reunions. And it was my joy to give them these gifts. Now, what if I would walk in the door, they'd hear me drive up, and they'd say, oh, no, it's Dad. Here's 25 things we've done wrong since he's been gone. And they went upstairs and locked the door. And I walked in, hey, kids, dad's home. And no silence. Laura, where are they? Oh, they're locked up in the room. And I'm knocking on the door, kids, let me in. What's the deal? No, 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 no. Dad, we know we've done these things wrong. Hey, we'll deal with whatever's wrong, but I'm just delighted to be home. This is not the center of our relationship. The center of our relationship is I just so looking forward to hugging your neck and giving you these gifts. And if there's wrongs that we need to write, things we need to work through, that's okay. That's life. But I want you. And if they said, no, we know you to be a hard man. We know that you don't bless us. We know that we get what we deserve. If they stayed behind their, that door, I would weep. Because the heart of the father longs to be with his children. Even as he corrects them, the shepherd corrects the sheep by his side. 
He doesn't cast them away. God loves us. He, he blesses us. He created us. He pursues us. He pursues us. You know, whenever you came to Jesus, or if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, you could pause for a minute and at least seeing, see the rescue hand of God. If you're alive today, you're like, wow, I should have died here. This car accident, this thing happened. We all have those stories, right? That's the grace of God to sustain us. Whenever I come to Dallas, I'm always reminded of uh, a trip we took when I was a kid. We lived in Beaumont, Texas, and we took a family vacation in the 1970s. Shows you how old I am. 1970s to go to Six Flags. And so we are in the station wagon driving down I-45. Let's say it's 70 miles an hour. And I'm a five-year-old kid, and I'm enamored with the door handle. I'm just looking at the door handle, and I'm thinking, I wonder if I open this door, what would happen? Dumb thought, right? So I'm looking at it, and I open the door at 70 miles an hour. And even at 55 years old today, 50 years later, I can still close my eyes and see what cement looks like face-to-face at 70 miles an hour. I fall out. My face is looking at the cement, flying by. My brother grabs me and throws me back in the car as everybody's hyperventilating, screaming and yelling and pulling over to the side of the road to regroup. And it wasn't until probably my mid-20s that I had remembered that thought when I was meditating on God's goodness in pursuit of me. And God spoke to me, that wasn't your brother's hand, that was my hand. I rescued you for such a time as this. Whoo! The pursuit of God. The rescue of God. There's a lot of stuff we don't understand in the pain of our lives. But if you'll acknowledge the pursuit and the rescue, you'll see his hand. He created, he pursues us, he forgives us. Not partially but fully. You know, I've shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people from all kinds of backgrounds, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, whatever category somebody would want to call themselves. And what I find about all mankind is this, is that all of us are born into sin and we know it, even if we can't call it that. And if we don't have a way to get rid of the guilt and the shame, we are literally limping through life trying to get it to stop, trying to get the guilt and shame, the insecurity, what can I do to stop it? And so what I often ask people is, have you met the God of forgiveness? What is it you need to be forgiven for? What are you hoping you'll find in forgiveness? Uh, The most poignant place for me was several years ago when I was um, coming back from my hometown of Beaumont, Texas. I was supposed to get a hopper flight back to Waco. They canceled the flight. I get in the car. I I rent a car, and there was only, that was the last rental car that they had. We were going to drive over to Hobby Airport in Houston and then fly up. And uh, and there's another businessman standing there, and um, he was from India. And uh, so I just said, hey, man, I'm sorry they're out of cars. You can jump in with me if you're going to Houston. He said, I am. And so we're driving. It's a two-hour drive, and we're talking. I'm getting to know his story, so on and so forth. And I know a little bit about Hinduism. So as he tells his life story, so on and so forth, I ask him this question. 
Which God in Hinduism is the God of forgiveness? And he thinks about it, and he tells me a few kind of halfway deals, but he, there's not one God for the God of forgiveness. And I, I, I've had this happen a couple of times, but I, I said, I am so sorry. And I, I meant it. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I don't know what I would do unless I had a God of forgiveness. The guilt of my sin, the insecurity and shame that it drives, the fear of the afterlife. I said, all that stuff, I need a God of forgiveness. I am so sorry. And as we began to talk back and forth, I found myself crying, and he's a little taken back. But I am too. I'm like, why am I so overwhelmed here? And it's because God's same compassion was for him. Oh, that he might know my forgiveness. You know, everybody's made for Jesus, they just don't know it yet. Everybody wants to know Jesus, they just don't know it yet. We all live with a God-shaped void that can only be filled by one who is worthy to forgive mankind of all sins, and that is Jesus alone. Because Jesus is exclusive in the universe, then he is also the only one that can actually cleanse people from unrighteousness and allow them to have a relationship with God. People can have glimpses of godliness, but they can't have God without Jesus. And they can't be totally forgiven without Jesus. Now, so many of you are familiar with the forgiveness story, but I find as believers, we limp around feeling partially forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody help me. Cleanse us from all. Right. Jesus died for Okay, so, but we feel as if we live in, in, a, in a place of penance. Man, if I just do good enough, then I'll feel better about the sin in my life. Listen, my deal is you are never going to get over your sin by pulling away from God. You're only going to get over your sin by coming to God. The blood of Jesus is enough for all sin. And of course, there's a process, and at times there's consequences for our sin. But here's what I know. If I confess my sins, he is faithful to restore my relationship with him immediately. If I offend you, so let's just say in marriage, if Laura and I offend each other, and we say, hey, forgive me, forgive you, depending on the depth of the emotion of it, we might have a little distance, you know, the old cold shoulder for a little bit. Hopefully, we don't do that now at 33 years, but that was a lot of our early marriage. And, um, and the, you know, the reason is, hey, I'm hurt, I forgive you because I'm a believer, but I just don't trust you. So I'm going to keep a little distance and make sure that you know that I don't trust you yet, right? But then we got to this point, we said, when did I do enough good deeds for you to then trust me? Right? Because in Jesus, he does not make us earn our way back when we have sinned but he immediately restores the relationship by grace. The reason we all ought to be rejoicing today in Jesus is because grace is real. Ooh, I just want to, this one I want to get in. Lord, just make it work. Uh, Grace is real, tangible today. Okay, Jesus created, pursued, forgives us, provides for us by sending the Holy Spirit so that we're not alone. We'll revisit that in a moment. And he provides for eternity to come. You do not have to be insecure of the afterlife 
when you know Jesus because he has gone before us, John 14 says, to prepare a way for us. And because of his shed blood on the cross, because of his resurrection and his invitation, eternity began when you said yes to Jesus. Do you know right now I'm living an eternal life? Do you know that the throne room is wide open? Now, I can't see it, but by faith, I know it. And I'm literally accessing the throne of grace right now to find mercy and help. And if I breathe my last breath right here on this stage, no worries, I'm right there with my final destination of eternity. I'm not hoping for eternity. I've already started the journey, and there's a straight line tunnel into eternity. Woo! You got to think about that one. All right. I know y'all need to get on with it, but I'm just getting caught up in my own preaching here. All right. So because he is the person that we are pursuing, we want to behold him and be with him. Some of you guys are maybe looking at me and saying, yeah, he, he looks normal, but what's that deal with the side of his face? It just It's called a deal called Bell's Palsy. And a few months ago, it was almost down to my chin. I had to hold my face to preach. And it uh, doesn't, doesn't matter about all that, except to say this, is that when a trauma happens, like a neurological thing, you, you, you want to pause and say, okay, I submit to God, I rebuke the devil, what health things do I need to do? And then whatever doesn't happen, you have to wait, right? So I'm in that waiting and expectation for full recovery. But the bottom line is don't waste your waiting, right? I have no energy to waste the waiting. Do everything God says and then just worship, trust him, right? Okay. So um, in that that waiting process, I did a little study on face. And in the Old Testament, the face of God is the presence of God. When Moses got in God's face, he got in God's presence. In the New Testament, the face of God is the person of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, the Lord is the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is liberty. We all with unveiled faces because the veil has been opened through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed in that same spirit from glory to glory. So as we're beholding the person of Jesus as the pursuer, as the creator, as the savior, as the forgiver, as the lover of our soul, we're in his face by faith, and people begin to see the reflection of the goodness of God, even if we have a twisted face. The face of God, the person of God, is where the fullness of joy is. All right, we've got the person of God. So then the scripture says, so walk in him. Joy is a person, but joy is also a present tense connection to God himself. Very familiar passage, John 15, 4 and 5, and verse 11. Abide me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 11 says these, these things I've spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy, that abundant overflowing grace, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Woo, there it is again. 
So now he's not just saying the person in his presence is fullness of joy. He's saying in abiding and walking with him is fullness of joy. You can have joy in the midst of your circumstances by abiding in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So as we go into the holidays, just real briefly, and you got to listen quick here at the end, is um, put your anchor in now that you're going to abide in Jesus during the holidays so you don't come out of the holidays wiped out but built up. You don't come out disappointed, but you come out satisfied. And Laura and I are already planning, when, when are we going to meet with Jesus on a daily basis on word, worship, and prayer on our vacation in our dysfunctional extended family's house? Everybody knows the deal, right? If we go to the in-law's house and we walk out of the, ha- out of the room and go into the kitchen, it's already going to be dysfunctional. Very difficult to get time in word, worship, and prayer because you're getting roped into something. And so we say, all right, in our dysfunctional home, we get up, we put our shoes on, we get note, uh, note cards or a little carry Bible. Now you can carry your phone and we go for an hour walk and I read the word, I pray and I worship. And then I come back into the dysfunctional kitchen full of joy and anchored into Jesus so that I can abide in Jesus to deal with the complexities of my broken home. Right? Anybody? Am, am I the only guy that has these kind of deals to go on? So you got to anchor in in word, worship, and prayer so that the fullness of joy has a starting point so that I can access that throughout the day. And then you say, okay, throughout the day, what's going to be my access point? Right now, I have three times a day where a ding comes up on my phone and says, abide in Jesus. And I pause wherever it is, ding, all right, recenter, all right, here I am, Jesus, I'm with you. And usually it's, I let go of that and I take up your presence, let it go and receive it. You know, this whole deal, just a little tangent, there's just, we just have to constantly let go of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know the word for forgiveness is the Greek word called aphemi, and aphemi means to let go. Let go of the offense unconditionally. Let go of that person. Bless them. Don't curse them. Let it go. It's the same word, though, the same Greek word that's used when when the disciples, Jesus said, come follow me. They dropped their nets and followed him. They dropped it. They let go of their nets, and they followed him. They aphemied when they dropped it and went forward, and when we let go, we aphemied. So hang with me, all right? So what I want you to do is I want you to say back to me, let it go, Jimmy, when I say this. Okay, so somebody cut me off actually on the way to church here. I found myself angry. I walked by somebody that I knew, and they didn't remember my name this morning. Woo! Somebody owed me 50 bucks, and they went the other way instead of come and paid me the $50, and I have a need right now. My home is broken, dysfunctional, and always causes problems. Ooh. I'm still affected by my mom's brokenness, and I don't know what to do. All right, you see what I'm saying? We're kind of letting it go. Everybody's letting it go slower the deeper we get here. (laughs) But as an abiding person in Jesus... I am afeming, I'm doing the afemi action of letting go consistently throughout the day and blessing everything and everybody around me so that that doesn't control me and steal my joy. If you don't have joy according to the scripture, it's not anybody's fault. 
Paul was chained to a wall and had joy. And it broke the chains off his prison. Really. It's time to be the people of God and to let it go. From the little to the large. And those little reminders of abiding are not just, oh, I hope I'm spiritually right today. I hope I'm spiritually perfect. It's just a reminder to let it go and receive again, Jesus. So we're worshiping prayer. We anchor in and we abide and we, we get the deal. And then we, we find ourselves, we're almost finished here. We find ourselves also, there is great joy, not just in abiding and releasing and letting go, but there's great joy in giving. It's just a, it's just a really cool deal. Uh, about a month ago, and I've done this often in Antioch, Waco, uh, where I lead there, we did a, a financial series, and, and uh, I always bring money on the days that I talk on finances, and I had $100 in my wallet, and I called a, lady from, a young lady from the audience. I had met her one time, had no idea about anything about her. I actually had to ask somebody her name, but I felt like the Holy Spirit highlighted her. I had her come up to the stage, and that can be a little intimidating. It's a fairly large church, a lot of people. And she comes up, and I just said, uh, Amaya, God sees and God knows. I have $100 here, and, and, and it's, it's not everything you need, but it's just so you know that God sees and God knows. She literally burst into tears with loud sobbing. One of our lady pastors up on the front row jumped up with me, and there's a picture of us just holding her, and you can just see her hair. I mean, she was just undone by God. And we pray for her and kind of prophesy over that kind of deal. And then some people just go to minister to her. Well, what we didn't know was her story. And there, here's her story. Very broken family, family divorce, but a lot of, on top of it, a lot of anger between the uh, spouses uh, still. And her dad, she was her dad's favorite until she grew up and got, became a teenager. And she began to look exactly like her mom. And out of his anger for mom, carried his bitterness towards her and rejected her totally. So you know what she was going to do? She was a bright young lady. So she said, well, I got to go to school. It's my only way out, education. So literally, she's working two jobs, is in year three of a four-year education, went through the community college and working her way through. And she was away from God. And in high school, she had met somebody from Antioch and had come a few times to the youth group. And she always had a heart to come back, but couldn't figure out how to get back, right? And so what she ended up doing was, she said, I can't go to this to life group. People have invited me to it, but I can at least come on Sunday with my job deal. So she'd been coming for the last six months. So I call her out from literally 1,000 plus people there. I call her out. She comes into the front. We do the deal. So they're finding out her story, and, and people are coming up and giving her money while they're praying for her on the side. And so we ask her the next, they ask her later on that day, you know, what happened? She said, oh, I got $600. It'll take care of the rest of the semester. I can, I'm just so grateful, so thankful. And the reason we were asking the question is somebody had asked about what her needs were for the long haul. And because she had been living so much in survival, she thought 600 was enough for everything she needed. And she had another year of school and then wants to go to grad school. But then we were able to tell her, hey, somebody is giving $5,000 for your next year's education. That should take care of it. And if it doesn't take care of it, let us know they're committed to you to the end. Now, you think joy didn't... When, when they saw her being so blessed by $100, when they saw the joy of giving, when they saw me give something away, the joy 
uh, just blew up, right? And it can be a dollar in the name of Jesus to a thousand. It doesn't matter. The, the dollar figure is not the deal. It's the joy of giving because God's a giver. When we do that, it releases joy. So whether we give encouragement lavishly when nobody else is in our home, or whether we give a practical gift out of love for somebody, or we give to a stranger in a personal way, it unlocks the kingdom of God. A different season, I've done, th- done this where I've just gotten like $21 bills or, or $51 bills or, or $10 bills or whatever and just prayed when I got into the mall or in, out and about and just said, Lord, who do I give this money to? And say, I don't know what your need is, but God does. I want to give you this $10 and I want to pray that Jesus would come and visit you. Do you know how stunning that is to people? It's just so not the world that it just explodes in people's hearts. And we see it blessing people either sacred or, sacred or secular. But I want to encourage you, be active in abiding and not just living but giving. All right. Last scripture, last story. Here we go. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Just everybody say Jesus. Ah, it's just so good. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Whoo! Man, I'm just feeling it. I just, God with us. It's enough. It's everything. We were on family vacation several years ago. All our kids were little at the time, and it landed during Father's Day. And so for my Father's Day present, Laura was sending me to play golf without the kids. I said, praise God. She did ask me, would you like to take the boys? I said, that's not a gift. I mean, I love them. I'm for them. But yes, I'm, I'm good. So I get to the golf course, and um, there's a man that plays every day, a man named Trumi, he's 75 years old, and they said, would you just like to join him? He, he's happy to play golf with anyone. And so I joined the man, and, and we start playing, and, and we're talking a little bit, finding out about his life, and it turns to talking about Jesus. And he said, do you mind if I tell you my story? I said, oh, please, you know. And he said, I grew up around the things of God uh, but I saw so much hypocrisy, and I had some tough things happen as a kid, and so I ended up saying, man, I don't want anything to do with God or the church or anything like it. He said, my sister, though, was the opposite. She was faithful, loyal to God, to people, most loving person I knew, and what I would say would be the person that always had my back. And he said, when I was 38 years old, my sister died suddenly, and I was shocked And I was mad. If I was already not distant from God, now I'm aggressively mad at God. This is one of your servants. This is one of the people who has honored you. How could you take her? How could you leave us all this way? What kind of a God is that? He said, I'm driving back from the funeral on these back roads of Arkansas. And he said, I had an open vision. And he said, son, I don't know if you believe that or not, but I was there. I said, yes, sir. He said, I had an open vision, and I, was kind of, I had to pull over on the side of the road. He said, in the vision, I'm on a stage at a church, and I'm also sitting on the front row. He said, that's weird, isn't it? And I'm preaching to myself. 
And he said, I'm preaching. I'm saying, there's only four words you need to know. And he said, then, the, then I'm preaching again. And he says, Truman, there's only four words you need to know. And he said, three or four times. And I'm, and I'm now in this vision saying, what are the four words, you know? <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> there's only four words you need to know. And then he declares, I am with you. And he said, at that moment, I don't know how to explain it, but all of my sin became clear. And it wasn't God that had left me. It was me that had left God. And my sin was just laid bare. And I wept and wept and wept over my sin and received his forgiveness. And he said, after all the snot and the tears, I looked up through my windshield on that dark night. I was the only car out there, and I saw emblazoned in the sky. And he said, Son, you believe me, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> and in fire, it was written, I am with you. And I began to rejoice. Oh, Lord, you're showing me a sign and a wonder. And I began to rejoice. And he said, and then it's like the letters faded away, and all I saw was the stars. And I said, no, Lord, no, don't leave me. Keep this sign in the sky, please, every night, Lord. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I've now given you my spirit and I am with you. You don't have to see it in the sky. You don't have to, I will speak to you, Truman. I am with you. That is the message of Jesus, the message of Christmas and the joy that we get to tap into. Amen. Let's stand together. Hey, wherever you are this morning, honestly, this is the most important part of the morning because what's about to happen in these next few moments, it's, it's our response to God. We've worshiped together. We've heard the word. Now it's our response that really determines our destiny. So if you're comfortable and you don't have to, but I usually encourage people to close your, their eyes just as a way to focus by faith on Jesus and not be distracted. If you just close your eyes for a moment, if you know Jesus, would you simply ask him this question? What are you saying to me? And what do I obey? What, what should I do, Lord, in response to your voice to me? You're just talking to him. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, that's why you're here, <laughs> to know him. And I want to take you to him through a simple prayer. And you can pray it under your breath or you can pray it out loud. But if you need to know Jesus and you've never prayed to receive Jesus or you're not clear about that connection to Jesus that you know of his salvation, his forgiveness, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can pray it right with me. God knows your heart. If you don't know Jesus and you need him, just pray something like this right after me. Lord Jesus, if you need him and you don't know him, just pray, Lord Jesus. I Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you made a way to the Father just for me. I am yours. I 
am yours, Lord Jesus. I'm leaving my sin and I'm laying a hold of you. I am yours. Now with everybody just focus on what God's doing in you, eyes closed. And again, you don't have to, but just staying focused. If you just prayed that simple prayer with me for the first time or from the sincerity of your heart, you know you're in. I want to pray for you. Could you just raise your hand? Doesn't matter who's around. Who cares? If you need prayer, just let me know. If you prayed that simple prayer, I want to pray for you. So Lord, I pray. Anyone who everyone, you know each heart who's calling on your name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I proclaim salvation over every sincere heart. I proclaim forgiveness of sin because of your shed blood and your finished work. I proclaim them free to receive the Holy Spirit of promise, to know that you're with them. Let grace run like a river here in this place this morning. And in each obedient response to you, oh God, bring power, I pray, by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. This morning we want to respond uh, in a time of communion. So if the communion servers efficient would go grab the elements and bring them up to the front. If you're new uh, with us this morning, uh, the, one of the ways that we practice communion is uh, by coming up to the front and receiving of the bread and of the cup. And so I just want to encourage you uh, as the officiants uh, make their way here to the front that whenever you're ready for you to come up and receive the elements and our worship team is going to be leading us in a uh, worship song and, and, and just take some time to remember uh, that the fullness of joy is found in the person of Jesus and and as we remember uh, his broken body and his uh, shed blood, that you uh, would receive that fullness of joy that is found in Jesus. And so, uh, so uh, worship team, if you could take it away, and whenever uh, you are ready, you can come up and receive of the elements.
Your feet, my desires. 